0: Welcome to the Biology of Trauma podcast, the show that provides professionals with the knowledge and tools for effective, science-based solutions for the trauma healing journey. I am your host, Dr. Amy, and I've done the hard work so you can stop your in-the-searching, have a roadmap for your own work, and be able to help others more powerfully. My guest on today's episode is Dr. Peter Kahn, A good friend and colleague, a chiropractor, who has been featured on NBC, ABC, CBS, is a board-certified chiropractic neurologist and a fellow of the American Association of Integrative Medicine. He and I talk about one of the most important aspects of a biology of trauma that therapists and counselors should know about, brain inflammation, because brain inflammation slows people down in trauma therapy, and we're going to talk about how that happens in today's episode. There are four sections of this episode. We talk about the symptoms of brain inflammation, recognizing when there is brain inflammation, where in the history do you look for what are called priming events, and early life events, the emotional and psychological events, and their impact on brain inflammation. Dr. Kahn says one of the most impactful sentences in the first two minutes of this last section. I wish I had time to tell it to you now but you will just have to listen. Throughout this whole episode, I share with you the story of Marissa. You're going to hear from her. She's a naturopathic physician in Canada and she had to address her brain inflammation to be able to effectively do trauma therapy to overcome her childhood, a major car accident, and multiple chronic health issues. Let's get started.
1: Usually, people know right away what we're talking about when we say brain yep. fog. When people say, what's brain fog? Then they probably don't have that problem. But usually, when, the reason you have brain fog is a sign of brain inflammation is because inflammation in the brain causes decreased nerve conduction velocity. So for brain cells to communicate with each other is through synapses. And these synapses is through action potential, meaning your, your nerve cells basically propagate nerve messages down the synapse from one neuron to another, kind of like passing the baton from one neuron to another, so that neurotransmission can happen. And this, the speed of that conduction can be slowed down when there's inflammation in the brain. So one of the major signs of inflammation in the brain is brain fog. And many people struggle with brain fog. The problem is with brain fog, you go to a conventionally trained you know, doctor who's not aware of these things, there's no ICD-10 diagnosis code for brain fog. No. So you say you have brain fog, then they say you're just getting old. Like, really? Right. Is that that's the best you got? right? Everybody's just getting old. That's why people have problems. So we have to be really careful with that because when you have brain fog, that means there's inflammation in the brain. Now, other symptoms that could be associated with inflammation that you know that, you, that perhaps there's neuroinflammation is that you have changes in your brain function when you use your brain. Because your brain only has so much capacity for function, right? That's why if you like read a book, like a textbook, not like a book you enjoy, but like you read a very heavy, dense, technical textbook for like four hours straight, you'll feel like, you know, you need a nap, right? Because your brain literally runs out of energy. So anytime you use your brain, it's like a muscle, you run out of energy. Now, when you have neuroinflammation, that endurance decreases. Yes. You can do the things that you used to do as much. Before you start to experience decrease in brain function, decrease in focus and concentration yep. and ability to process. So what are some of these activities that can do that? Well, any activity that stresses your brain, like you read, you fall asleep, yep, you get tired, or you drive, you get tired when you drive. Or you drive okay, but once you get there, you get out you're of your car, exhausted. you get in mm-hmm. your house, you're like, man, I need to take a nap. You know, you go to the supermarket, you go to Costco, you come back from Costco. Is it lifting all the heavy toilet paper that's making you tired? Or is it because your brain is tired from driving? So if you notice you get tired from doing, driving or reading or you watch TV, or you get on computer to do work, you do a taxes, and you're just like, ugh, you just can't function after that yep. brain-wise, mm-hmm. you probably have some kind of decreased brain endurance and remember, you can have decreased brain endurance that could be caused by inflammation, but you can also have decreased brain endurance that's caused by something other than brain inflammation, like blood sugar problem or perfusion. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The point is, if you have changes in brain function, you need to find out why you have changes in brain function, and the main sign of that is basically boggy-headed and decrease in brain function, either from using your brain too much because of endurance problem or getting exposed to something. -hmm. You eat a food you're sensitive to, and you get foggy, or you get ah
0: yes,
1: (laughs) or you take a whiff of a chemical or scent Mm -hmm. or smell, and you get foggy. Those will all be signs that potentially you have some kind of you know Mm neuroinflammation.
0: I like how you describe that because with the brain inflammation, I kind of look at it as you know your your brain needs the sugar, it needs the nutrients, and it needs the energy then to be able to do everything that it does. And so even with things like decision fatigue you know that's a that's a term that's thrown out there but when you're put in a position where you're having to make a lot of decisions and you're noticing that just with having to make decisions you are starting to feel fatigued you're feeling exhausted you want to just start pushing all your responsibilities away because you don't you don't want to have to think you don't want to have to make decisions that can be again that brain endurance feature that you're talking about, where your endurance of your brain is going down with every decision that you're having to make. And so that can be an additional kind of sign for, for people. And even just sensory things. So a lot of people that I work with, they are more sensitive to their environment and sensory input, because all of our environment, it comes into our senses, whether it's stuff that we're looking at. So through our eyes or our nose, our ears, and so when we're in an environment that is more stimulating, and you're getting more fatigued with that, that can also be a sign of this brain inflammation, where it's just it's, it's too much processing <laughs> for your brain to, to be able to keep up with if it has this factor that's a- affecting its ability to, to stay healthy, to fire the neurons, to you know keep the conduction, the speed of, of those nerve workings. Uh, doing well. And so it's all of these things that anything that makes the brain work, and you're noticing yourself getting more tired with time, then that would be a sign that, hey, your brain function is is decreasing, it's being affected by something, and we should look at whether it is inflammation or not.
1: That's a great point, Dr. Amy. Uh, You're right. Anything that affects brains working... And remember, brain is both an input machine as well as an output machine. Yep, really a big antenna. We're a receptor-based organism, so the receptors are you know light, sound, scent, touch. You know, hear. You know, all of that. Like as you say, many people with brain inflammation have sensitivity to light and sound. That's a very common symptom uh, that's associated with neural inflammation. Certainly, there's other conditions that can cause you to be light and sound sensitive, but specifically yep. with neural inflammation. The reason is because if you have inflammation in the brain, you have decreased ability to take in that input because it takes energy to process the input, and then takes energy to create an output. Output will be, you know, you to create these thought processes to yeah. create movement. But the input is also really important too. That's mm-hmm. mm-hmm. light and sound sensitivity.
0: Yeah. So this the, whatever is is coming in, like the input that you're talking about, whatever is coming in, if that is overloading the brain's ability to handle it because of different stuff going on, it's going to affect the output. And it's the output that we measure, you know, and we can measure that through different things, but it's that output that we measure. And especially when we can correlate it to what's coming in, that's really where it's helpful to to measure. Is this off and and by how much and is it getting worse with time? The brain, an input and output machine. So there's this delay in processing input and converting that to output. This will be a big clue as we go into the next section on how to recognize brain inflammation. We have to learn how to actually recognize brain inflammation because it holds so many people back in trauma therapy unknowingly and unnecessarily. Now, Marissa is not one that you would suspect has brain inflammation or trauma. She is a naturopathic physician. She showed up in my biology of trauma certification course and kept asking for more and more until I had to create my advanced provider training program and she was in the very first group. I sat down with Marissa the other day and asked if she would share something from her journey that might help you. What she shared, she had never shared with me before. Let's hear the first part of her story and then we will go deeper with Dr. Khan on how you can recognize brain inflammation, whether in yourself or in your clients.
2: I am uh, 46 and I am trained as a naturopathic doctor. So I have been practicing naturopathic medicine for about 15 years, I guess, and had a private practice now operating virtually. And this is my second career. I was actually working in the pharmaceutical industry before I realized, yeah, I don't quite fit in this model. So I went back and started studying natural medicine, but I grew up with natural medicine. My grandmother was a big influence, lived with us on and off throughout my life and uh, was a big influence in, in natural medicine. It was just always what I did. I didn't even actually know it was a separate profession and I could make a career out of it. That's how much it was just a natural part of my life. And I will also say that my, my childhood was, what you could say, quite traumatic. I, I have one of those higher ACE scores and um, come from a, well, there, there was a lot of domestic violence um, in my family and, and abuse in many different ways. And so grew up always feeling very traumatized, <laughs> always living in fear and definitely always living in survival mode. So definitely created from that. Uh, a lifestyle that was always operating in stress, always creating stress in some way, shape, or form, um, to get to get me now I know it it was to get me through my day, right? So it would be like I wake up with my alarm blaring with no time to spare, and it was just like rush, 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 rush to rush to work, speed on the highways. and it, it was that whole cycle, like running on a hamster wheel. And then, of course, I, I had an accident, a car accident, started having chronic pain issues, and then My health just kind of really started deteriorating from that point. I started noticing symptoms of brain inflammation, maybe about a couple of years before I found you, actually. So it was the symptoms that I would experience was really much like, if you think of your brain as like a computer, it was like I'd notice like my brain just felt like it was shutting down, right? So like maybe in the morning, I'd have like clarity, I could focus, I could get work done then as the day went on, it became definitely like more and more foggy. So I really noticed the brain fog. That was a big symptom that was very disabling for me because everything I do requires like um, very clear cognitive function. (laughs) So the brain fog would set in, but then it was literally like the computer would just crash. And it it was like, I'm offline. Just don't even ask me any questions. Don't, Don't ask me to make a decision about anything. Like even if it's something simple, it's like, I can't even think. I can't even put thoughts together to even figure out what that answer or how to come to an answer about that. And then, of course, just feeling very fatigued. But yeah, all of those symptoms were what was really starting to, to present and become very disabling. Like I just wasn't, I was hardly even, even able to work. So after the car accident, I started having symptoms of fibromyalgia, then my thyroid went off and then that became an autoimmune you know, Hashimoto's thing. And then it started with the chronic fatigue symptoms. And that's when the brain inflammation piece really set in. And when I look back now, I realize like, yeah, I've had quite a few indirect head injuries, you know, like whiplash many times from various, not only car accidents or motor vehicle accidents, but falls and injuries and that kind of thing. I was a very active playing sports as a kid. And so always falling, I've broken bones and things like that from some pretty bad falls. And now I know, actually, it was my birthday just the other day, and I was talking to my mom about my birth and how traumatic apparently my birth really was. (laughs) I didn't realize how traumatic it was. But yeah, she said that I wasn't coming out and they had to basically use forceps and pull me out and that she actually ended up having an infection because the labor was so long and then they put me in an incubator for a few days. So it's just like if I go back in my history, like it goes back even potentially all the way to to when I was born, that there might have been a little bit of of prime migration. microglia at that point plus never mind of course my my family situation which was intense psychological stress and so (laughs) so now that I know it's been going on for quite a long time it was just it took it took me to get to the point where, where it was so disabling and interfering with my work and how I could work effectively that made me that forced me forced me to to do something about it because otherwise, I just lived with it. I'm the type of person you just push on through. You push, 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 push. And you just keep going until you run out of steam. And, and yeah, I ran out of steam. <laughs> I noticed it was uh, limiting me with my capacity to get into parasympathetic and stay in parasympathetic. So as I'm learning these somatic tools, and first of all, just learning the different states of my nervous system, when I'm actually in sympathetic versus when I'm actually in freeze, which was, so interesting to, to learn and identify because I, I didn't even have that clarity or understanding before the 21-day journey. And then with that, I, I noticed when I would come out of sympathetic and come into parasympathetic, I was very confused. I'm like, am I in parasympathetic or have I gone back into the freeze? Because <laughs> I'm like, it's like I'd yawn. Then I couldn't stop yawning and then I get really exhausted and I'm like, "Um, I don't think I'm in parasympathetic anymore. (laughs) I hit my capacity like pretty quickly. Like it was just limiting, limiting me in terms of being able to get into parasympathetic and stay there. Like I was able to do those somatic tools and get myself into parasympathetic, but that's when I realized I'm not staying in parasympathetic at all. And so then I realized, yeah, I'm actually I've been operating in the chronic functional freeze state for quite a while. And so, yeah, it's it's been a challenge because when you're in that state, I, I would get so wiped out. So if I was doing something, I was doing um, a lot of different types of trauma work, as well as you know the stuff that I've been doing with you. And if I did too much too fast, I would go into the freeze. You know, if something, even if emotions came up in the somatic work. And it was like grief or something like that, any intense emotions, boom, go into the freeze. And it would wipe me out for the whole day sometimes. Like I would just be in freeze for the whole day and I can't get out of it. And then I can't work and I can't do things. And so I even started holding back on doing some of my own trauma work because I didn't have the time for it because I knew it would send me into the freeze and then I wouldn't be able to work (laughs) or function. And it wasn't even about not even being able to work, but even being present for my family. I I don't have the capacity to even talk to you right now. Just leave me alone. And I needed to self-isolate and go into my cave and be by myself and rest until I came out of my freeze. And so I wasn't able to get as far as I wanted to to go with my trauma work because of that. And now I know why. Now I know why. Now it all makes sense, right? So now I know I can do something about that too, which is cool.
0: What are some of the symptoms that make you think that maybe brain inflammation is part of the puzzle for you. That's draining your energy, affecting your life, affecting your health. And we can talk about that. So Lauren is saying memory issues. Yes, we've just talked about how memory issues can be a big part of brain inflammation. Difficulty concentrating. Yes, Kelly, this was sort of the brain fog. That's what many people describe as their brain fog, is that they have a hard time concentrating. And especially uh, with time, and so it's, it's where you're doing something and then with more time, you notice yourself getting fatigued more quickly than before. That would be one of the features of brain inflammation is that you know, after a nap, after taking some time off, you feel strong, you feel more focused, but then quickly back into work or back into the environment, back in front of your computer, whatever it is, then you notice that dropping pretty quickly. Word recall, can't remember names. So, Sharon, that is another good one that many people have brought up. And another patient of mine, that was her complaint when she came in to me, Dr. Khan. She said that that's what motivated her to actually do something about it was because she had gone into work one day. She's a physician and she works with this one nurse every single day and for a couple of years. And she walks in and she already knew that, you know, things didn't feel great in her brain, but she, Called her nurse by the wrong name. Uh, she said that her nurse's name was Alicia and she had called her Ashley. You know, something small, but yet it was obvious to her and she didn't even catch it in the moment. <laughs> like it just, it just kind of like, hey, hi, Ashley, you know, good morning, Ashley. And thankfully for her, right? Like the nurse said something, she kind of laughed at her thinking that it was a joke and she's like, oh, is my name Ashley today? And it just like, it hit her. It's like, okay, like my brain is not working. I have never called. People by their wrong names before, that should just be automatic because I know this person so well. I need to do something about my brain.
1: <laughs> yeah, that can be really scary, especially you know if you're accustomed to functioning in a high level, and uh, so then you notice these you know uh, either gradual or sudden losses. So that can be very scary. In, in any case, when you have loss of function in the brain, just remember sometimes you know we all get to have a bad day, you know. So, just because like you you come home one day and you're tired, and that day your brain's just not functioning well, you take a nap and you wake up, you're feeling refreshed, good to go again, you don't have a problem again. That's not brain inflammation per se. You just had a bad day. So, we also don't want to make it like, oh, everybody has this problem, although it is very common. But, you know, it's always important to, you know, self assess and, and understand where you stand with this. If you, but, you know, if you have a problem that's consistent, that's chronic, that doesn't seem to go away, you have to start to consider, okay, there's some mechanism there that's causing Mm -hmm. the symptom that you have. Yeah. And the problem is that if you don't address it, just so you know, when you have brain inflammation, you're basically losing brain cells at a faster pace, right? Faster than its time. You know, Mm -hmm. we all lose brain cells, but that doesn't mean you have to lose function because we can develop neuroplasticity. That's not an antidote to neurodegeneration. But, you know, if you lose enough brain cells, then you got less brain cells to work with. So you can develop neuroplasticity... But if you don't have enough brain cells to even develop plasticity with, then you don't get to get ahead. And that's Alzheimer's yep. dementia. You know, you cannot build plasticity in an Alzheimer patient. I mean, you've lost mm-hmm. enough brains, but right. brain cells to where you just can't get that back. So mm-hmm. you have to cons- consider neuroinflammation as the precursor to that and take it very seriously and do everything you can to stop it.
0: And one of the things that I'm noticing in the comments is a lot of people are, are noticing that with all of the different inputs, right? They, and they can be different inputs, but it's just that it becomes overwhelming. And that sense of I'm overwhelmed, my brain feels overwhelmed, it's had enough. And, and then that affects then their output, right? Whether it be word finding or balance or memory, all of these things, uh, it's just from that feeling of the brain being overwhelmed. And Lauren brings up a good point in terms of, is this just Alzheimer's? Or is Alzheimer's related to inflammation? I'll just comment on that quickly and then I'll, I'll let you give your take on that, Dr. Khan. With the Alzheimer's, you would not be expected to have Alzheimer's symptoms when you're 30, when you're 35, right? Like Alzheimer's should be an age-related thing. And with all of the work that's been done now, we know that so much of, of Alzheimer's is related to processes that we have control over in our lifestyle, especially with diet and toxins and all of these things like there's a whole Alzheimer's approach to preventing and then maintaining your function if you are on that pathway but still you know when when you're young when you're healthy the brain fog is not normal and i think it's become more normal in our society to not feel well and, you know, to, to need longer times off because we're just not feeling right, not functioning well. But that is not, that is not normal. <laughs> that is not healthy. And so if you're having any of these symptoms before the, the normal age of age-related dementia, it's a, it's a problem. It's a problem. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, so her question, if I understood correctly, is, is this all Alzheimer's? Yeah. Does a neuroinflammation automatically equal Alzheimer? Obviously not. You can have neuroinflammation at a young age from having concussion. Exactly. You can have neuroinflammation from having you know, a, a leaky brain mechanism. Yep. You can have neuroinflammation from leaky gut leading to leaky brain and eating gluten and, and all these different things. So neuroinflammation just means that your brain's inflamed. However, yep. when your brain's inflamed. As I said, you lose brain cells at a faster pace. Yes, And Alzheimer really is just a disease where you've lost enough brain cells, you have brain atrophy, so then you, you don't have a brain to function with. That's right. why you lose function, right? So, so is, is a neuroinflammation equal Alzheimer? Not exactly. But does neuroinflammation lead to Alzheimer's? It sure does. Yes. So that's, why, well, that's my call to you, to, mm-hmm. to the audience, that when you have symptoms of neuroinflammation, see that as a prelude, and yep. you want to do everything you can to stop that from progressing further.
0: Mm-hmm. Seriously, we have to stop normalizing brain fog. It is not normal and we should not settle for brain fog. Leaky gut and leaky brain. This is going to be a big concept that we teach in the gut health and trauma module. So, just for a little more depth on that, anytime that we have inflammation in the gut, it actually travels up the vagus nerve and can be a priming event, which we will learn about in the next section, or it can activate microglia that are already primed and we have that brain inflammation. So much here to go into. And we're gonna hear from Marissa next because she's going to take us into the specific tools from the Brain Health and Trauma Module, that Biology of Trauma Module, and what specific tools helped her the most. After that, we are gonna jump into priming events and understanding what aspects of a person's history do you need to look into in order to understand what might have been the cause of their brain inflammation?
2: Specific things that I've done are supplements. There are some really useful and fantastic helpful supplements that I have started taking for the brain inflammation. For me, I would say like at the standard recommended dosage, I might not have noticed something, but I knew that I was having a lot of brain fog that day. So I just doubled the dose and it was like, I actually worked the whole day. And even though I was still tired, after the day was over, I was like, wow, like I actually got my work done. And I felt, I felt like clear and focused, even though I felt stressed, which normally I would have gone into the freeze, right? So I was like, Ooh, this, this is, this is doing something. This is cool. And then I added in another, I added in another supplement recently too again, the same type of thing, except this time, it really helped with like my brain energy. It was like, it was like turning the motors on, you know, it was all of a sudden it was like, vroom, vroom, I'm ready to go. And it was like, (laughs) take off into, into um, a very productive state. Very, very energized. Like the whole day through, I was able to get sail through, sail through my day at work, but then also have the capacity to to interact and be social with my family after work was over. So I'm like, now now I'm I'm so happy that I have these supplements because like again it's it's making me more productive at work, but also just in my life and with the people that I want to be around and spend time with. And then there there is also something else and that was the power naps. I started doing the power naps. And at the very beginning I needed to do it every three, four hours, like twice a day because I was just that wiped out that, that much in the freeze. And I found when I did that, like, wow, like it really helped. It really made a difference. Like I just felt I could, I could work again. And then again, like I could, after work was over, I could be like around my family and enjoy being with them and, and have things to say and want to get into a conversation with them. Whereas before I would be like, again, just don't even talk to me. I'm really not here. (laughs) I don't have the capacity to listen to you right now. God forbid you start complaining about something or, or say something stressful to me. Like, <laughs> But now it's like, I can, be, I can be there and be there for them. Those two things made such a huge, huge, huge difference for me, in particular the supplements and the power naps. Uh, oh, and I got a weighted blanket recently and I just absolutely love it. It really calms me down and it actually helps me with my naps. I have this weighted eye mask. So even if, if it's dark or whatever, I still put on the weighted eye mask because I really love the somatic exercise uh, where you apply pressure to the eyes. That really helps with my brain inflammation. And so now I've got this weighted eye mask that I put on when I'm taking my naps, but also if I'm just going to bed, especially when I'm trying to fall asleep. And it just really settles my nervous system. Whether I have the weighted blanket on or not, that eye mask has been really powerful too. I like bringing in different tools, you know, using different things. I I love having all these different resources to choose from. Okay. The two, I would say the magnesium L3 and eight, that one really helped with the clarity and the focus. And then there's this combination product called brain memory by Douglas labs. And it's got, you know, a whole bunch of good stuff in there. I think, um, acetyl-L-carnitine and, and things like that. Um, some I want to say vinprocetine or something like that. Anyways, it's got um, some good uh, supplements that really target the microglia. It really helps with just bringing more energy into my brain. So again, helps with the cognitive performance. At the same time, turmeric. So three turmeric really helps. I think generally it helps, but I, I, know, I know that it also helps with cognitive function. But the, those other two that I said first will probably be the most noticeable ones in terms of my cognitive performance.
0: Well, let's talk about the causes, the different causes for brain inflammation, because we really haven't talked about that. And that for me was a big piece when I understood that things that had happened to me earlier primed my cells primed my brain for being predisposed to inflammation now it it really changed the way i looked at it because it wasn't as if i have you know this naive brain and i can continue to do things and i can continue to burn the candle at both ends and and not sleep and cheat a little bit on my diet when i want to and you know go out and do this heavy exercise days i cannot do all of that given my history and what has already been set into place with my brain? So I'm curious. Uh, I can share my experience, but I'm curious. Have you had personal experience with brain inflammation? Is this part of your your history, your story, Doctor Khan?
1: I will say it, it is. Um, right. and, you know, uh, as a as a you know, in high school, I played high school football. Concussions a part of the game. You know, back then, when I was in high school, 80 years ago, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, the functional medicine stuff really works you know i, I keep my age really well but you know back in the day when i was in high school you know uh, you're
0: going to be able to sell any longevity package if you're saying that you were in high school 80 years ago
1: <laughs> it's not hair products uh, but you know when I was in high school you know playing football you know, like every day i came home with a headache yeah you know i remember days I came home i just like sat on the couch and i just you know it was like dinner time i just didn't even feel like eating right I just just wanted to sit there and just so many days like that. So yeah, is, but back then, I didn't know that was brain inflammation. I just thought right. I was tired. Right. Uh, and I also wasn't eating well because I had no idea what healthy diet was. Exactly. You know? This all TV commercial telling me what's healthy. So yeah, I, I'm very positive that I have, you know, a lot of those loss of functions, you know, as I gotten older and I you know learned to take better care of myself, then, you know, I don't have as much problem with that. But still, you know, I, I can, you know, sometimes, you know, I you know, uh, lose sleep over something. And then the next day you wake up just like, whoa. And that feeling that you get, you know, I'm sure for those of you that drink or have ever drank alcohol, you know, that brain, that the uh, hangover feeling, you know what that hangover feeling is? That hangover feeling is like brain inflammation. uh, Yep. And that hangover feeling is kind of like what you feel when you have a concussion, right? Like you're kind of just out of it. Mm -hmm. That's what that is. So that will teach you to drink. No, kidding. Uh, so yes, I have personal experience with that as a as a young age, and, and and now that when I look back, I can really identify
0: yeah, so my my personal experience is having had a couple of concussions i I definitely noticed symptoms before that now you know now that I'm here and looking back over my history, and it's like, well yeah i I definitely noticed those types of symptoms before, but after my concussions it definitely was a lot more and i could not push my brain and my body as much afterwards and get away with it just like you i was eating what i thought was a decent diet not knowing the effects of many things and the relationship between gut inflammation and brain inflammation so that was a big piece for me so there's the physical stress and physical trauma on a brain from injuries concussions doesn't need to be you know anything only severe, right? Like the, the TBIs and military stuff. Like I fell off of my bike and I did lose consciousness. A lot of soccer players, you know, they, they are hitting the the ball with their heads all the time, uh, the football players. So there's, there's many different degrees of physical trauma to the brain that cause these primed microglia and primed microglia are, they're like the support cells. For the nerves in the brain, and so when there is injury, they kind of raise up and, and support the healing process. But then what happens is that when there's been these types of insults to the brain, they become what's called primed. Can you explain what primed microglia are for the audience?
1: right, so kind of like priming a pump right you're getting something more ready to go Microglial microglia cells are basically immune cells that are there to. You know, scavenge. They clean up yep. dead cells and cellular debris. They prune off bad bad brain cells. Basically, what Michael Glea does it, it looks at a brain cell, it looks at an injured brain cell and it says, You're injured and we can't have you. <laughs> because you're weak and we can yep. only keep the strong ones. You're brain, the weakly <laughs> <lead. laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Brain is mission critical. We can only have healthy ones. I'm sorry. Yep. We're gonna have to destroy you. Yep. So microglial cells kill off the injured and the weak brain cells. That's what they do to keep the rest of the, the brain cell all healthy ones. Yep. But in that process, what happens is when you have various factors, either from trauma or from diabetes, yep. from inflammatory diets, from leaky gut to psychological stress, yep. whatever it is, these, these factors can cause these microglial cells to be more primed, more ready to go. Yep. Because they become prime, though, they get into this active state where they don't really ever go back to the resting state where they're just exactly. kind of like chilling and pruning off in a normal yep. rate. When they become prime, literally structurally and physically, they turn into a completely different brain cell. Yep. yep. So really, essentially, when you have concussion or injury repeatedly, and in fact, each injury and each successive inflammation episodes causes this decreased sensitivity to the successive episodes. So that's why Dr. Amy was saying that she can't handle the same intensity of you know the diet or the exercise as much as before. I'm sure many people have said that. Never feel the same after the my concussions or my whatever major stresses because once the brains change to that inflamed state, it can exactly. kind of go back. Right. You can kind of dampen it though to make it yep. improve so you function better. But know that structurally, literally, your brain is different now. So you have to treat it as a different brain, a different situation mm-hmm. where you can't abuse mm-hmm. it anymore. You can't just drink alcohol you know, to, to excess. You can't just overtrain and you can't just not sleep and stay up and watch you know, late, t- late night TV. You have to just take care of yourself and baby it more than yeah. if you didn't have this microbial mm-hmm. activation.
0: Self care becomes essential, right? Like it's not just that, oh, I wish I had time it becomes essential to create the lifestyle in order to maintain a, a healthy, supportive environment for your brain because it is, like you say, those cells now are always on guard and they are ready to act immediately. And so with, with different triggers, and we can talk about triggers, but with the different triggers, like that's it, they're, they're ready to go already. And so that, that sensitivity, that threshold to inflammation comes lower. And you go there faster (laughs) each time. Did you recognize yourself or any of your history in what we shared? Can you remember times in your life when you may have had a hit to the head, whether or not you lost concussion? It is so helpful to be able to look back and just do a scan of our life. When might there have been times that I had an injury or something else that would have affected my brain that would be a reason for having primed microglia and this tendency for brain inflammation. One of the really interesting things about Marissa's story was how this brain inflammation was impacting her as a practitioner. We often don't think of practitioners having brain inflammation and having these struggles. And I think that this is so valuable for you to hear and start to think about whether this might be a role, playing a role in your life and affecting your ability to be present for your work as well. Let's listen to what she says, and then we're going to jump into early life and emotional stress, psychological stress, and can that cause brain inflammation? So this specific
2: piece um, with brain inflammation and the biology of trauma has been a game changer for me as a practitioner. I mean, obviously, it's been a game changer for me personally, and I'm, I'm also that type of practitioner. I love to try things on myself and be a guinea pig myself first and before I use it with my own clients. But it's a game changer because I've seen so many clients who have chronic health issues that have been like ongoing, longstanding. They might have worked with me or even with other practitioners and gotten to a certain point in their healing journey, but then they always hit a ceiling and then they get stuck. And most of them just don't know what else to do, how else to improve from that point on. And so understanding um, the inflammation in the brain, the inflammation in the nervous system and how if your brain is inflamed, your nervous system is inflamed, that is sending out dangerous signals to your entire system, like everything. If your house is on fire, like who, who cares if the plumbing doesn't work or, you know, the front door doesn't close properly or, you know, the smoke alarm doesn't go off. Like none of that matters. Your house is on fire. You know, like we got to deal with the fire, right, and like that's such a huge danger signal. It's going to constantly send you out of parasympathetic. You'll, you're never going to be like in that calm, alive state of parasympathetic where the body naturally heals itself, right? And, and I have always been wanting to to help bring my clients into that state. And so now, understanding this piece is such a powerful piece, and I can actually address that piece if that's present. And help them come into parasympathetic. I think a lot of people don't even know that they have brain inflammation. They might have thought, well, I've never had a injury, a direct head injury. And don't think about that they've had that, or maybe they have had a head injury, but because it was not medically diagnosed as a concussion, like it just goes missed and it goes missed. But as we know, you know, even if you recover from a concussion, now you're more prone to having that reactivated with certain stressors in life. And so it can come back and create these cycles where where you go in and out. But it is a big block to healing. And so now that I know it, it's like I can I can address that piece and help people calm their nervous system down and get back into that state of parasympathetic where your body is actually working for you. Right. And it's doing what it's designed to do, which is to help you get to a place of balance and and help you get to that place of optimal health and well being. Yeah, this has been a, a game changer
0: the emotional stress the psychological stress the more of an impact it has on the brain because the brain is still developing and it's actually still developing in its survival states and you know when we talk about the resting zone we're really talking about a parasympathetic rest relax digest connect and and so that's the state where we want those cells to be in but if a a, a young child an infant especially is in some type of internal stress, emotional distress, they don't feel like they are getting the degree of emotional connection, physical connection, physical needs being met when their body needs them to be met, then that is all going to be causing a level of distress that's almost like a a panic because it's a survival thing for them, right? They, they, They don't always know how to communicate that. They even think that it's not safe to communicate that if they do have the words already because they're just a child and they they know that they have to maintain some type of relationship with their caregiver in order to have most of their needs met. And so just those dynamics can create a lot of internal stress, the psychological stress, and can prime these cells for later in life for then... Uh, whether it's uh, different triggers now, it's not always the same trigger, but the different triggers will cause them to also go into a state of inflammation.
1: Emotional trauma and PTSD can cause just as much neuroinflammation as traumatic injury and concussion.
0: And isn't that amazing? Like, And that's, and that's a really good point because our cells really don't know the difference between emotional trauma and an actual physical trauma to them it's all the same it's a it's a threat to our survival and so the response is the same and inflammation can definitely not only be a result but then can keep a person stuck in their process of recovery both from physical injuries or from emotional and trauma you know injuries and insults
1: obviously this is an area of Dr. Amy's expertise you know dealing with uh, developmental issues and childhood trauma and I think it's a very overlooked area. A lot of people you know come into our atmosphere because they're yep. seeking functional medicine. They yep. expect that there's a supplement that can just solve all the problem and, and sometimes it's not about supplement. You know it's just really looking at the problem and seeing where's the key leverage point and what's yep. going to be the most effective for somebody it, It's going to take an integrative approach, but I think the uh, the childhood trauma aspect of it is often overlooked.
0: Yes, absolutely there's a question that, that is being asked and it's and it's a really good question and I can't see your first name. So um, it's something M. Elliott. <laughs> Thank you for your question. And I'm actually going to take that question and expand it to a bigger picture because it's a really important point. And the question is around if a concussion was not diagnosed or maybe even recognized at the time, is there a way to determine, you know, years later, if a concussion actually happened? And for me, the bigger question is, how do we know if brain inflammation is part of the puzzle for you, no matter what the cause, right? Because whether it's a a physical injury, whether it was a time where, you know, your, uh, your gut was off, your nutrition was really off, or there was so much stress that your cells were primed. It really doesn't matter now because it's going to be the same approach that we do to, address and manage the inflammation and get it back as much as possible to, you know, a, a healthy state where it's not being triggered. For me, it's not as important as knowing specifically always, you know, what the initial reason was, because it doesn't change our approach now. Once we know that brain inflammation is a part of your, your history and your symptoms now, we're going to be approaching it all with the same. What, what would you say to that, Dr. Khan? Would you agree with me?
1: Yeah, I think uh, you know, some people just want to know the story, like, oh sure. yeah, that was the thing that caused everything. But it's kind of an academic question and that may, may never be answered. I mean, is there right. a way to know for sure? How how I don't think we can know because you know, you may have have three concussions. How do we know, even if we can see something in the brain, which one's the first one, the second one, the third one? Right. Exactly. And, all, and then maybe you have diabetes and you have some other leaky gut problem and autoimmunity yeah. that's also causing the neuroinflammation. So yep. how would we be able to see the remnants of that? So I think it's an academic question. It's an interesting question, but there's no way to really prove it. So focus the energy, as Dr. Amy says, on solution, on yep. optimizing, bio There
0: you go, bio-optimize. It's what we all uh, try to do, right? One of the things that I wanted us to touch on was, you mentioned it at the beginning, You know, like your, your conventional medical provider, which again, like that used to be me, right? So, so I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not necessarily tearing them down they have their role but we are not taught this we are not taught this in medical school in residency at all and so it was one of those one of those times for me when i was going to what i knew you know like my field my work and not finding the answers that i needed to get better so when we are having these symptoms and we go and and they're not able to provide us any answers really why is that? And are there different tests that we can do? And would you recommend doing those tests or going based off of symptoms?
1: It depends on the goals and, and the severity and, and what we're talking about. So really, my favorite word is depends. Yes. <laughs> when I say depends, <laughs> right. not, because, not because it's an adult diaper. No, when I say depend, it's not as a cop-out. So I don't give an answer. I say depend to really trigger... Maybe yep. more intellectual investigation, like depends on what, like you know, you should be asking. What are the scenarios that it depends yep. on? So yeah. Then that gets you to think and ask better questions. So, right. You know, as far as you know, why you know your conventional doctors don't look at these things or don't understand it, I'm going to tell you. Most of your natural practitioners don't get this stuff. That's no, true. This either. is true. You know, this is that true. Talking about true. here, uh, Dr. Amy and I that we're talking about it's very very advanced and high level stuff and not every practitioner choose to go into this area of study and that's okay. It doesn't mean they're like bad people. It just means that, you know, some people like, I'm not interested in checking people's, uh, you know, toenail fungus. I'm not a podiatrist, you know, just like, so, so you, everybody have their specialty is what I'm saying. So it's okay. But, but you just got to realize what the doctor's modus operandi is. Meaning if they're, if they're a hormone doc, then uh, the whole thing is hormones. So every p- person come in with brain fog, they're going to say it's hormones. Just give you some testosterone. You're going to be better. If you're seeing a Lyme doctor, every person that has brain fog, oh, everybody has Lyme. So do Lyme stuff. So we have to be very careful. Uh, you know, you have to basically know and vet who you're seeing and what, what's their thing, you know? So yep. if, if their thing is like Dr. Amy and I is on brain inflammation. So then, then we're going to look at the brain inflammation in a much different light than somebody who's just a hormone doc and as far as why doctors don't even don't know about this because most of the time they're, they're treating symptoms that's exactly just conventional wisdom is that they just yep. treat symptoms so they don't really yep. look at underlying reason why you have that symptom so you have mm-hmm. brain fog okay you're just getting old or did you hit your head no okay then take prozac maybe you know okay. like child therapy with yep. antidepressant. Yep. so that's kind of the me- me- conventional management and then when it comes to testing. I mean, much of the tests they do is all looking for pathology. You know, what's the MRI and Cascan scan going to really look at to tell you whether you have these functional problems. So that's yep. where functional neurology and functional medicine comes in. We're looking at soft lesions, right? Soft lesions are, you know, you have problems and symptoms that look like you have a stroke or you, you can't speak or whatever. But when we take an MRI of your brain, everything looking normal. So you don't have okay. a hard lesion, like a physical lesion, but yet functionally, it's not working. So right. what's causing the function problem? Well, you know, and activation and inflammation and toxicity and previous trauma, psychological things, right? So, I mean, how do you measure psychological right. trauma when you're a kid being stressed out and the effect of that on your brain on that lab test? Like you can't... Yep. How, do you, how do you do that? So it takes an astute practitioner to actually be able to even understand this. And then, you know, be aware enough to even ask the question, right, in a history to draw that out and then kind of yep. have a context for it. So Mm -hmm. there's functional tests you can do for some of these things, but do you need to do it? Depends. So that's the depend question, you know, it depends on what kind of symptom this person has and and how severe is it. And, you know, uh, have we already addressed kind of like the foundational things already and it did it work. And if it doesn't work, then we can go to the higher stuff. So I always kind of see it as a roadmap, like a a step-by-step process, because you don't have to do every single test under the sun, but you have to address some of the foundational things first, and then you can move to the, you know, the functional tests, if it's Mm -hmm. needed. That's Mm -hmm. how I do
0: it. Yeah. And that's why I love what you do because it is much more individualized, right? You're not just saying, well, here's what everybody should do, right? Like you should all take this medication if you have this symptom, right? Like it depends, right? We, We look at your story. We look at your symptoms. We look at what you're doing right now, what you've already put in place. How much has that changed? Like it really does depend and it becomes very much individualized then which allows you to really make faster progress with somebody because you're working with them individually and where they're at with their brain. As a kid,
2: I learned to stop dreaming because there was just so much trauma and abuse that it was too painful to dream because, you know, first of all, it just never came true. And if, if it ever something actually came close to coming true, it was taken away. So I lived a very kind of narrow life for a very long time. And now it's like, wow, if I deal with my brain inflammation and get my nervous system regulated, like my capacity has just expanded exponentially. My capacity, you know, even as a practitioner to help so many more people, right? Especially those who do get stuck. I mean, to be honest, I didn't necessarily enjoy working with clients who had the same kind of health conditions that I have right now, because they were tough, right? It's like, I don't know what else I do what I do. And I can help you get to a certain point. But then everybody kept getting stuck. And I just didn't know what else to do after that point. But now I I do. And so I can offer that. And that is just so exciting, because it can help them get their life back. Right. And that's what it's been doing for me. It's like, now it's like, wow, I I see my ex- capacity expanding and growing. I can actually be the person that I want to be in my life, be the person that I want to be for others in my life, actually maybe enjoy being around like friends more often and, and social gatherings more often because especially for the last few years, I've kind of been avoiding those situations because they were too overwhelming for me and send me into the freeze, activate my brain inflammation and send me into the freeze. So, so now it's like, wow, I can actually enjoy being with others again. But also just, there's all these other, I guess you could say, passion projects that I've been dreaming about, um, ways to contribute back to society, ways to make the world a better place, like all these things (laughs) that, uh, you know, have kind of been like on the very, very back burner for a very long time that I've kind of just ignored. There's all these cobwebs all over them, you know, and now it's like I can dust them off and, and look at those pieces and put them back like on the table and be like, yeah, I can actually, you know, get to this sooner than sooner than later and participate in some of these other projects that I i have been wanting to do. Like not, I mean, it's kind of hard because my professional and personal life, I think intersect. I mean, I love what I do. It's my passion. So <laughs> it's hard that it's hard when that they don't intersect, but there's all these things that I would, I would love to do. Like there's, uh, for example, in some of the communities, you know, bringing in, and having more discussions about, about trauma and about health and about how to heal and recover from that. There's definitely a, a need for it in some of the communities that I'm involved with. And people have been asking me about that, but I haven't been able to do it because I didn't have the capacity. <laughs> but now it's like, wow, okay, I, I, I can see my capacity growing and expanding, and I, I will be actually able to do that soon. So it's exciting. It's so exciting. And and I feel hopeful again, like I actually feel excited and hopeful for my future and the rest of my life, because things were going very down for a while. And now it's like, wow, like I can, I'm coming out of it. And I still have a lot of life to live. And I still have a lot to give back to life. So Uh, now I feel like, wow, I I can actually, I can actually do that. And so, yeah, I'm grateful. I'm so grateful. (laughs) I'm so grateful that I, I have found you and I've come across this work and I've been able to use it for myself and bring it into my practice and use it with my clients um, because it has been life-changing. It was so synchronous, I, I think, actually, because before I came across your work, I was already starting to see these pieces of the state of my nervous system. Now I was starting to recognize, like, wow, I'm living my life in a constant state of stress, and I'm I'm actually creating it. I'm creating this stress, and how you know how much stress is in my life, and and it was bewildering when I realized that I was doing that, but I didn't know why yet. I didn't understand, like, I because I was already in the freeze that I was creating that stress to get me out of the freeze, so that I could actually go to work and do my job and Do all the things I needed to do because that's what I've always done. I'm a survivor and I just push through. And I was like, I don't want to just be surviving anymore. Like this is crazy. I'm I'm running, I'm literally burning out. And and I I would love to be able to get to a place where I could thrive, but I don't even know what that would even look like because I've never lived that before. And then synchronistically, like as I was coming into that awareness of my nervous system and the state of my nervous system and how regulated my nervous system was not, that's when I started coming across your work. It was just like the universe is like, okay, you're ready for this now. Here you go. Boom. It took one interview that I saw with you in the summit last year. And I was like, sold. hundred percent. I know this, this, this lady knows exactly what she's talking about. This is the information that I need for me and for my practice. And I was just like, where do I sign up for more? <laughs> And yeah, haven't haven't looked back since it's been intense work, intense work triggering because, you know, um, as you go through it, brings up a lot of stored emotions and and traumas, but um, so rewarding and so grateful for it. Thank you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. And look, you signed up and you didn't really know what you were signing up for, but look at where you are now. I know. It's amazing. I love it. I love how, how things work out like that.
2: <laughs> yes, It's comforting, right? It's Cause comforting. I've grown up with the experience that life is hard and I'm not safe here. Right. So to have these experiences that are actually the opposite of that message. And it's like, yeah, you know, like the universe is looking out for me. Like maybe life is working out for me. Like, maybe life Does want the best for me and is supporting me in that, right? And some of those messages, you know, some of those thought patterns are being rewired into my system now, right? And and I'm I'm taking on the I'm downloading all those messages now (laughs) and trying to play those programs instead of the other ones. (laughs) But it's it's so cool to to pay attention to that and to watch that and to recognize that too, because it does happen. I, I find it very fascinating the journey.
0: What a fantastic episode this was on brain inflammation. We are going to have to have a part two on this because even though we covered a lot of ground, some of these terms may have been new for you and there is still so much more that we want to dig into into this topic because of all of the biology of trauma aspects that I see, brain inflammation continues to be one of the top ones that I see actively happening in people who are undergoing trauma therapy and it is seriously just like Marissa shared in her story, limiting their capacity to do the trauma work. We know the trauma work is important. And so we've got to be able to address our biology that is holding us back in trauma therapy itself. As a review, what we talked about, we covered the symptoms of brain inflammation. We covered how to actually recognize if you've got brain inflammation or if your clients have brain inflammation. We talked about priming events and actually what events in life Do you look at to know if you may have had brain inflammation? And what I loved about Marissa's story is that it's been unfolding for her. She certainly could look at her car accident and be like, yes, that would have caused a priming event for my microglia. She played sports. She definitely had some head injuries there. So that was a piece. But then just the other day, she was talking with her mother and discovered the birth trauma that she had and actually needing to go to the neonatal ICU. Those would have been priming events. It's so interesting to be able to look back at one's life and gain an appreciation of what the body, what the brain has been through. And it gives us clues on how we need to support our biology now that we are trying to do the trauma therapy and overcome these things in our past. We finally talked about the role of early life and the emotional and psychological events that we go through, those experiences, those family dynamics per se, and how they can have an even stronger impact on creating brain inflammation than a direct physical injury to the brain. This is huge, and this is partly why there are so many people in trauma therapy who have brain inflammation. And my goodness, if they knew that, if they could see that, if, if you could see that in them and knew how to direct them to getting support for their brain inflammation, my goodness, the change that would happen in their life and in their ability to do the trauma work and to accelerate their trauma healing journey. I have dropped a few guides in the description for you that I think would be helpful Marissa mentioned some specific supplements. It is true. There is a brain inflammation protocol that I developed, and I will share that with you along with the other tools. If you are wanting to dig deeper into this and you have already taken the 21 day journey, then you will want to consider taking the brain health and trauma module with me, where we dive deep into brain chemistry and brain inflammation. The other guide that I'm going to drop in the description for you is a guide on the freeze response because. If you have not been around us for long, that may not be a term that you know, and Marissa mentioned it several times in her story. Rather than leaving you confused, I have dropped that link to that guide in the description so that you can go there and figure out what is this freeze response that they are talking about. With all of this, I want to give you encouragement that even if you recognized yourself in the stories and the conversation today, that there is so much hope that you are not stuck with the brain fog, with the decision fatigue, with those symptoms of brain inflammation, that you can actually make a huge difference in your capacity to be present for your life, for your family, for your career, for your clients, and for those things that are important to you. So let's start applying the tools and get to work and see the change. Thank you for joining me today. If you enjoyed today's show, be sure to subscribe, We definitely will learn, laugh, and sometimes cry together on this healing journey, and you won't want to miss an episode. Give my podcast five stars. Share it with a friend or colleague if you felt an impact as it truly helps get the word out and breaking the paradigm of how we do trauma work. I look forward to seeing you back here next week. Until then, this is your host, Dr. Amy, sending you lots of love.